I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in March of 2022. And today we're going to be talking about climate justice and clean energy solutions led by women, in particular, women of color and communities negatively impacted by the fossil fuel industry in North America. My guest is Osprey Oriel Lake, the founder of the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network International that goes by the hopeful acronym WECAN, W-E-C-A-N. The Women's Earth and Climate Action Network International, WECAN, is a solutions-based not-for-profit organization established to engage women worldwide in policy advocacy on the ground, on the ground projects, trainings, and movement buildings for global climate justice. Their website is wecaninternational.org. Our guest, Osprey Oriel Lake, is the founder and executive director of the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network International, WECAN. Working with grassroots and frontline women leaders, policymakers, and diverse coalitions to build women's leadership, climate justice, resilient communities, and a just transition to a decentralized, de democratized, clean energy future. Osprey is the co-director of the Indigenous Women's Divestment Delegations and actively leads WeCan International's projects from various trainings and work to shift the narrative on climate justice using feminist lenses to engagements at UN climate conferences to campaigns such as the Women for Forests program. Osprey was the visionary behind the International Women's Earth and Climate Summit, which brought together 100 global women leaders to draft and implement a women's climate action agenda and co-founded the International Women's Earth and Climate Initiative. Osprey is honored to serve on the executive committee for the Global Alliance for the Rights of Nature and has been a core organizer of various international rights of nature tribunals. She's served on the board of the Praxis Peace Institute and on the steering committee of the UN Women's Major Group for the Rio Plus 20 Earth Summit. She's also the author of the award-winning book, Uprisings for the Earth, Reconnecting Culture with Nature. Welcome, Osprey. Thank you so much. That was quite an introduction. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot to say you. about that was very generous of you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to say about you, you know, and your organization. Tell me why you saw a need for a climate solutions organization that was focused on women and female leadership. Well, you know, in the introduction, you had mentioned actually uh, one of the uh, origins of our organization, uh, which was catalyzed um, first really strongly in 2013 with the International Women's Climate Earth and Climate Summit, which brought together, as you mentioned, 100 women leaders around the world to raise our voices and unite and collaborate for climate justice. And over the course of that summit, it was really clear that you know, we needed to have a mechanism for uh, different solutions um, that, that do recognize gender. And the reason for that is due to unequal gender norms, which are really all over the world, women experience climate change with disproportionate severity because, um, you know, our basic rights continue to be denied in varying forms and intensities around the world. And this um, enforced gender inequality reduces women's physical and economic mobility, our voices and the opportunity in many places, making uh, women much more vulnerable to mounting environmental stresses, which, you know, as we know, are escalating now. 
And then due to racism, particularly indigenous women and women of color are even more impacted by the climate crisis and environmental degradation. And so, you know, there's this, that lens that we need to understand that gender inequality is, is, is a part of this story, but also on the flip side at the same time, it's internationally recognized that women are critical to implementing climate solutions. And, you know, women are solutionaries and mm -hmm. women are implementing models of collective ownership of their forests, of their seed, of energy systems. They're working to localize their economies. And that we see, you know, that over half of the world's food production um, is being done by women. And yeah. when we look at United Nations studies on water programs, if you don't involve women's leadership in these water programs, they simply don't work. So I think it's really important to see how critical it is that we, we look at what women are doing. In many countries, women vote more than often than men. Mm -hmm. um, there was a really powerful study done about um, a survey of 130 countries that found nations with larger numbers of female legislatures are more likely to ratify international environmental treaties. Mm -hmm. So in essence, study after study shows that we can't actually get to a healthy and just future without women's struggles, leadership, and solutions at the forefront. And I really like what um, Indian physicist Dr. Vanda Shiva says, which is, we are either going to have a future where women lead the way to make peace with the earth, or we're not going to have a mm -hmm. human future at all. And I, I think that, you know, more and more people are realizing the central role of, um, you know, that we, we can't be having these patriarchal social constructs and leaving women out or colonial constructs of leaving women of color out or indigenous women out of these um, negotiations for climate solutions around right. climate that, we are central and, and it's really time to lift up those voices. Well, yeah, I'm so glad that you've started We Can because I'm on board <laughs> with everything you're saying. Now, um, we're going to get into talking about a particular um, fossil fuel report that you did, but I just wanted to ask in general, what is We Can's vision in terms of climate justice? Like, what would that look like? Like in a world where women are part of the, the solution and um, kind of respected and included. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, I think that, you know, a, a part of um, this climate justice work is looking at, you know, what is a just transition? You know, what does that actually mean? For as an example, um, you know, right now, when we look at, you know, our dependence on fossil fuels um, and how that is impacting uh, women's health, their well-being, or even right now, um, international conflicts like the war in Ukraine, uh, which mm -hmm. is fueled a lot by fossil fuels. Um, and um, we, we need to see that financial institutions, meaning banks and asset managers and governments, uh, right now have an opportunity to really invest in renewable regenerative energy. Um, you know, which has become increasingly cost-effective and necessary as the climate crisis escalates. And we need to really get off of big oil. It's really essential. And right. we need to conduct a managed decline off of the fossil fuel industry and ensure this just transition. And what we mean by that from a feminist lens is really for the workers and communities that depend on fossil fuels, that they can be supported in this transition into other jobs that are also important to them. And that we also have a just transition that meets the needs of frontline communities 
who are the ones who are being impacted first and worst by the climate crisis. And this also includes respecting and upholding indigenous rights and indigenous sovereignty, which are increasingly violated. Um, and we need to really address that. You know, when we look at a lot of where uh, extraction is happening, whether that's fossil fuels or deforestation, it deeply impacts indigenous peoples and indigenous women. So part of that mm. transition needs to really deal with how are we going to have a very different kind of economy. And um, we're looking at circular care economies that respect people and the earth's natural systems. One of the things that we're working on when we talk about a just transition is, you know, a feminist care economy, which in essence mm -hmm. is really looking at how, um, you know, for a very long time, women's labor, whether that's caring for children or elders, um, you know, their daily work at the home is really invisibilized and underpaid mm -hmm. and undervalued. And how do we turn that around and really see that that work really needs to be part of a new economy of care economy and not everything being based on endless economic growth and materialism. So this is part of a much right. bigger vision about how do we live with um, each other? How do we respect um, everyone? How do we respect indigenous rights? How do we respect women's rights? How do we respect um, a transition that is racially just, that is economically just, that is um, really a decolonized view of the world going forward. So this is all important to how we can live and have access to food, clean water, and, and uh, the medicines that people need and have our communities be much more decentralized and localized. This is all part of a vision of how we can transform from, you know, really a, a, a very top heavy extractive lifestyle to one that's much more in alignment with um, community care, much more in alignment with frontline communities and those being impacted first and worst by climate disasters, those who have been marginalized. Um, we need to look at indigenous black and brown communities and how we can center their voices and lift them up at this point of transition. Right. And also look at the fact that we need to protect, you know, vital uh, natural systems. And that's going to be a very different future than the one that we're in right now. Right. I like the depth with, within which your organization approaches this. And so I, I'm looking at your website. That's one of the reasons I wanted to ask that question so people um, could see kind of what a post-colonial feminist lens looks like um, in, in thinking about our future. Now, I know you're a co-author on a recent report from WeCan called Gendered and Racial Impacts of the Fossil Fuel Industry in North America and Complicit Financial Institutions a call to action for the health of our communities and nature in the climate crisis. What are some of the ways that you found that women of color are particularly suffering health and safety threats from fossil fuel extraction in North America? Well, we decided to do this report because it's, you know, I think it's really one of the first of its kind because we, when we look at gendered impacts, we really can't separate it out from racial impacts. I mean, the fact right. is that um, the way Black and Brown and Indigenous women are experiencing harms to their communities is different than for white women. And I think it's mm -hmm. really important that um, we, we are able to speak openly about that and boldly about that and start addressing, um, you know, the, the, the real fact of, of the gendered and racial impacts and, and that they are not separate from one another. 
Um, so the essential nature of the fossil fuel industry is extractive, harmful, and not possible without the perpetuation of you know, systemic racism, colonization, mm-hmm. patriarchy, and capitalism. I mean, this is what's fueling this. And within this context, um, as I mentioned, Indigenous, Black, and Brown communities are disproportionately affected by ongoing extraction projects. Um, and we're talking about whether that's, you know, um, fracking or pipelines being constructed or petrochemical plants and where they're built. Uh, specifically, we see how women are bearing even more of the brunt of these impacts from the fossil fuel industry. And um, this fossil fuel activity results in the pollution and degradation of our air, our water and land. And that affects women differently in frontline communities. Um, For example, air pollution and water contamination have been linked to breast cancer, ovarian Mm. diseases and risks to women's pregnancies. Um, We know that proximity to fracking has been linked to adverse birth outcomes, including Mm. premature births and high risk pregnancies. you know, you know, quite honestly, doing this report was very heartbreaking to, to yeah. look at these studies and to, to see, you know, especially like when we look at the Permian Basin and the Gulf South, how, uh, you know, so much of the fossil fuel industry has um, really landed in that part of the country. And it often goes unseen and untalked about. And we really need to bring attention to the Gulf South communities that have been bearing the brunt of this fossil fuel industry and pollution and air pollution and asthma. Um, I talked to, you know, many different women who, you know, in addition to all the cancers that they've had from Mm. living in their communities, a lot of these really powerful black women leaders, um, you know, have talked to me about, you know, how much time they've taken just from their jobs or almost losing their jobs because their children have asthma. And so then Mm. they have to be taken from school and go to doctor's appointments and just the impact goes on and on and ripples through their everyday life. Um, I think it's really important to highlight that. And then, you know, just to give an example of a safety threat, um, we know that indigenous women and girls um, and two spirit relatives experience unique threats and dangers when extractive projects are forced into their communities and one of the most well-documented and devastating gendered implications of the oil and gas industry is the increase in rates of sexual assault and violence against indigenous women and girls mm-hmm. in areas where there's temporary housing sites, like when they put in a pipeline, um, they have what's called man camps. And they right. are um, you know, these, these areas where transient male workers come into the community, they're not part of the community, and they set up you know, housing for themselves to work along you know, one of these fossil fuel pipelines and, um, you know, the men are working all day long and, and then at night they are using drugs, they're drinking and Mm -hmm. they are going after uh, the girl, indigenous girls and women in the community. And, um, it, it is absolutely horrific. And, you know, we were just, um, we had, uh, ourselves, uh, been working, um, up in, uh, supporting indigenous frontline leaders in Minnesota on um, resisting the Enbridge's uh, line three pipeline. And there were um, arrests made, you know, that have been documented of, of sexual trafficking um, mm. that took place during that time. Right. And um, again, this is not something that you hear, you know, in the nationwide news, but it really needs to be understood. This, these are uh, the high rates of violence against indigenous women that is connected to the fossil fuel industry is, is massive. And um, I, I think it's something that, again, is some 
something that is underreported, which is why we really wanted to highlight it in, in this report that we did. Yeah. Um, I think that it's also important to see that, you know, women are often the ones organizing and taking action in their communities are often the backbone of a lot of these resistance efforts to fossil fuels. Yeah. And they, it puts them at risk of this mm-hmm. retaliation and police brutality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just to, to sort of finish up here, the report spotlights the connections between um, also the, the financial institutions or Wall Street, if you will, and the fossil fuel industry and calls for both the government and financial institutions to transition away from fossil fuels and instead invest in clean, regenerative, renewable energy. And that we are really calling for accountability and justice within institutions. Um, and that means, you know, through government regulation, through really, um, a, a, again, moving us off of fossil fuels and looking at, at also the financial institutions that invest and, and finance these uh, projects um, that are right. harming women and, and I, communities. I like that your report lists that out. So I do hope that people get a chance to check out the report so they can see the specific um fossil fuel industries and like the corporations and um, the banks that finance them because you have, you know, articulated that a lot. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature. I'm host Carrie Freeman talking with Osprey Oriel Lake, the founder and executive director of the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network International. It goes by the affirmative acronym, We Can. We're discussing a report she co-authored called Gendered and Racial Impacts of the Fossil Fuel Industry in North America and Complicit Financial Institutions, a call to action for the health of our communities and nature in the climate crisis. It can be found at the website wecaninternational.org. With the few minutes left, I wanted you to tell us, Osprey, about um, one or two of the women leaders featured in your report um, who you work with at We Can to champion just climate solutions and fight back against fossil fuels. Yeah, well, I'd love to lift up Sharon Levine, who recently won the Goldman Environmental Prize for her work as part of an, her organization called Rise St. James to stop construction of the Formosa Plastics Plant in her community of St. James Parish in Louisiana. Great. And this fight remains ongoing, but, you know, it's a huge win that she's had now. And it's right, uh, for most plant is right in Cancer Alley, mm. Cancer Alley, which is, um, you know, overrun by over 200 petrochemical plants along an 80 mile stretch of the river of Louisiana. Oh, um, yeah. So, um, and so she successfully she, kept, um, another petrochemical plant from being built. Yes. Yes. And there's still more work to be done on that fight. Yeah. For most of plastic plant is closed down for now, but there's much more work to be done. Um, but you know, she's leading a tremendous, uh, advocacy effort, action effort to protect her community from this, this plastic plant. Um, so just, um, just a phenomenal leader, really, really powerful. I'd like to lift up uh, Tarhouska from, um, an organization called GNU Collective, which is an indigenous led organization. She's also interviewed in the report and she was, um, a main leader, um, in the uh, struggle on uh, the line three pipeline from Enbridge and, um, you know, really brought national attention to that pipeline fight and also, you know, has spoken out very powerfully on this issue we talked about uh, 
the murdered the man, man camps. missing mm-hmm, yeah. murdered and missing indigenous women in the man camps and um has also been a very powerful leader in the divestment movement and really talking to banks about stopping um their investments in their financing of uh, these fossil fuel projects and also bringing attention to the fact that you know a lot of these areas where these fossil fuel fuel projects are going on are violating indigenous rights violating mm-hmm. right. indigenous uh, treaties. And, you know, there, it's, um, really a tragedy that mm-hmm. how much, um, indigenous people are holding knowledge about how to live in right relationship with the land in a healthy way. And yet the rights are not being respected. And there's just, um, you know, ongoing violations of violence against indigenous peoples at a time when their lands are the ones that are healthy and clean and have 80% of the biodiversity left on the earth with wow. is in with indigenous lands and territories. And so this is a time to really lift up indigenous women, lift up indigenous rights and protect, um, you know, their, their lands with them and support their work for indigenous sovereignty. So I think, you know, um, uh, you know, there's just so many women we could name, but, oh, you know, right. I'll, I'll, I, I, I think that um, it's really important that people can learn about these women in the report and um, to also understand that all of these women have organizations that need support. And the more that we can help them, the more they can do their work. That's great. Now, Osprey, for listeners who are interested in getting involved with the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network and its climate justice initiatives, like we we're just talking about, what are some ways they can help? Uh, well, you can learn more about we can on our website, uh, which you have mentioned, which is at wecaninternational.org. And um, right now, uh, anyone who would like to can be invited to join an upcoming virtual event that we're having that's open to the public. It's called Building Systemic Change, Frontline Women-Led Solutions for Climate Justice. Um, You can find out about that event um, on our website, and you can also follow us on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram and on Twitter. And that's going to be an amazing event coming up on March 24th. Um, and uh, hear, hear a lot of uh, these amazing stories directly from the women leading these projects. Um, and I think that, you know, the other thing is to, to recognize that we all can do something. Right. And, you know, we'd love for you to, to learn more about what uh, We Can is doing and participate um, by joining our newsletter, we can hear about our actions and our work, not um, only in the United States, but globally, we have a lot of work going on in different countries, uh, organized around tree planting and protecting forests and old growth forests and um, really exciting work that is uh, very transformative in the sense of really centering uh, women and centering a feminist lens on these issues. And I think it's absolutely critical because one of the things that we see is it's so heartening to see women coming together across struggles, borders, and cultures. And women are really connecting the dots between climate justice, gender justice, indigenous rights, racial justice, worker rights, rights of nature, you know, really coming together that um, can be a vision that is different from so much of the disaster that we see going on now. Right, because you can't solve one problem in isolation of the others. And so it needs a whole new vision to come together um, so that it's mutually beneficial for workers and women and families and wildlife and (laughs) in our economies and everything. So I really appreciate the holistic uh, view that your organization takes and and, um, all the the women in their organizations uh, that work with you. 
Well, that's the end of our show, but I wanted to thank you, Osprey Oriel Lake, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for the leadership you've demonstrated in elevating women's voices, ideas, and contributions to create a green future through your organization, the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network International. It's so important. Thank you so much for having me on your show and for the work that you do. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash Nature. The views and opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers.